Hello and welcome to Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee with me, Eason. And me, Bex. And this is the second in our new series of episodes about Twin Peaks, reflecting on the whole of the series and discussing themes and ideas that are born from the show through the lens of the somewhat unofficial titles that were given to episodes of Twin Peaks Season 3. Yes. Our first episode, called My Log Has a Message for You, was out a few weeks ago now, where we discussed trees and forests in Twin Peaks and the slightly wacky idea of telegraph poles being tulpas or doppelgangers of trees. And today we've taken the title The Stars Turn and a Time Presents Itself and jumped off in a completely new direction as well. So for those of you who haven't listened to our uh, new series yet, uh, there was a bit of an introduction about how this series will work, but what we're going to be doing is covering aspects of the show from all three seasons and the movie via Walk With Me as well, and using this as a chance to discuss themes and ideas rather than specific plot points. We kind of did that in our original um, mm. Cherry Pie and Coffee series back uh, in 2017. But this is about sort of the ideas that have uh, resonated with us as we've gone back and either re-watched the show or various aspects have uh, popped up in conversation and got us talking about uh, different uh, ideas that seem to be present throughout uh, the whole of the, the show's existence. Yeah, and from time to time we'll also be bringing in other parts of the Twin Peaks universe like uh, Mark Frost's books and things like that where we can uh, join everything up if possible. So uh, we hope you enjoy it. This is our second episode on The Star's Turn and a Time Presents Itself. The Star's Turn and a Time Presents Itself. So what we're going to focus in on in this episode is questions of perspectives within Twin Peaks. Perspectives in time, perspectives in space. Are we seeing things from the perspective of certain characters? Are we interpreting the world from a very sort of earthbound perspective? And how all of these things that don't appear to make sense could simply be that they cannot make sense from the perspective in which we are viewing them. Yeah, and throughout uh, the entire series, there are, I think, lots of examples which incorporate this idea, whether it's perspectives that span different realities, different places, different times, or indeed the nature of how uh, memories kind of encapsulate the way that you may have a perspective on things. And I think that a lot of the characters in Twin Peaks do actually reflect upon these ideas directly and indirectly. So it's something which always comes up when you rewatch the show. And it kind of takes it from being a show that you, you obviously watch from a, a linear perspective in which all the elements that are presented to you are meant to be taken in the exact order and context uh, which they are. Uh, presented you in and maybe something which goes beyond that and changes more into a story which encapsulates the recollections of these different events from a variety of different uh, perspectives what do the signs mean there's a time if jupiter and 
Saturn meet. They will receive you. So I think the place to begin is with the many references that there are in all three seasons of Twin Peaks to the stars turning. Um, you've got the very famous bits in season two when they're discussing the the time and place in which the door to the Black Lodge opens and specifically the great conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn. So, for example, Major Briggs, I think, is the first person to refer to it as there's a time if Jupiter and Saturn meet, they will receive you. Yeah, so the move towards the idea of, of the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, these ideas are introduced by a character who clearly has his feet in slightly different planes in seasons one and two and in season three he is very firmly put into a different plane of reality altogether much like characters like Philip Jeffries these were characters who were earthbound in the original series but sort of transcend that existence and become part of another reality itself and they often make references to the nature of uh, reality the way that we view things the way that things line up in certain ways and how looking at things not from your own perspective but from the perspective of other events often much bigger uh, astral events i suppose they refer to these events sort of in very abstract terms about very abstract concepts but in season three it's clear that these ideas become uh, realities for the show as we spend a lot of time actually dealing with the confusion that exists between realities between two worlds which is constantly referenced and indeed how we can look at events from the small geographical area of Twin Peaks, or we can blow it wide open and see how all these strange events are all linked, and not only geographically, but also seemingly under the influence of bigger universal forces as well. Yes, when Windermere picks up on this conjunction as relevant to the point where he can enter the Black Lodge, he says... The planets our babbling major spoke of are more than distant orbs. They are, in fact, a clock, a clock that tells the time, and the time draws nearer with each ticking clock. But if you think about what a conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn is, it's something that occurs from our perspective here on Earth. At that exact point in time, from the perspective of other planets in the solar system, the conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn would occur at other times, not when we see it. Because it, the, the very idea of the stars turning or acting like a clock is an entirely earthbound concept. Because the stars don't actually turn around us, even though it appears that way from our perspective on Earth. It's an illusion created by the spin and orbit of our own planet. So when we say that the sun and moon rise and fall and the constellations turn, the real reason is that the world spins. Yeah. So... But because someone on the surface of the Earth doesn't comprehend their own movement, we ascribe that movement to what's happening in the skies. So we may be revolving and rotating of our speed, yet we consider ourselves to be standing perfectly still. And it always reminds me of that wonderful visual gag in Top Secret where they're on the train and it starts to pull away from the station and the camera is set up looking at them uh, as they're sitting next to the window on the train, and you can see the the background begin to move as the train pulls away. But then the camera shifts ever so slightly so that you can see through the window at a different angle. And you see it's actually the station, which is on wheels, and the station is pulling away, and the train is perfectly still. And so you, the way that you view the world and the way that things are moving is entirely relative 
to your perception of your own position. If you don't perceive yourself to be moving, then you perceive everything else around you to be moving. So what we perceive as the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn from our position on Earth isn't where a conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn would occur from any other planet. Because although the planets and the stars are moving, they're not moving in the way that we perceive them. Because actually the solar systems are rotating within galaxies and the galaxies are spinning and the universe is constantly expanding. So we perceive something to be moving around us. But it's true movement is something that we struggle to comprehend because we're, we're limited from our vision here in the world and, and our experience of what appears to be happening. Yeah, I think that captures sort of exactly what may have been the strangest shift in tone between seasons one and two and season three. It's the idea, like you say, that comprehending how you the things you do the things you see are present relative to other events it can be it can be perceived from your own perspective or you can kind of mix it in with not only the perspectives of other characters but what if you start to uh, actually see the things which are affecting you from those other perspectives and get a sense that you're actually genuinely moving relative to other things rather than perceiving the world from a static perspective, like you say. Uh, you know, it feels almost like perhaps the most linear aspect of seasons one and two was the fact that everything was from Cooper's perspective. Mm. And he was looking around and seeing things happen and understanding things very gradually by understanding how they all interconnected and other characters had similar perspectives as well. But there was very little in terms of understanding how the bigger picture would play out in the world of Twin Peaks, really until those final few episodes of the second season, where it appeared that the bigger mystery that may have involved, you know, the mystery in the woods and the lodges, etc., was something that was, up until that point, beyond everyone's comprehension. It was the fact that there were bigger forces at work that were looking back just as much as we were looking at them. And the strangest elements, arguably, were early on, those moments when other perspectives almost reached across into the real world. Moments like the uh, the character of the giant who we later would come to learn was the fireman appearing in Cooper's dream almost feels like brief moments where reality is broken in the original run and you're seeing how your role in the bigger story is played out from the perspective of somebody who has a slightly extra dimensional perspective and quality to them as well. And you can view it almost as a form of a mystery to be solved where you if you if you considered the original run, which as you say was very much from Cooper's perspective and was framed around the mystery of who killed Dora Palmer, the more information he gathers of how everyone's perception of what happened and everyone's perception of Laura was so very different to what everything appeared to be on the surface, the closer you got to the truth of what actually happened. So the the nature of reality, as perceived by all the people in the town, wasn't what reality was. To, to a certain extent, they saw what they wanted to see, or they ignored what they didn't want to see. And in season three, I feel that that veil is kind of lifted 
in a strange way, you are seeing a lot of the show from Cooper's perspective, but Cooper's perspective is that of a Cooper that spent 25 years in the Black Lodge. Mm. And so his ability to perceive events becomes as intangible and extra-dimensional as the giant seemed in seasons one and two. The fact that certain events in season three seem quite disjointed and confusing, in a strange way, it does feel like we're sometimes unsure from whose perspective we're meant to be watching things. And the scary thing might be elements of season three where you might actually be a character sort of within that universe watching things play out, fully aware that characters are unable to perceive how all these bigger connections are really linking up. So they seem sometimes almost hyper-realistic, some of these moments, in a show that always dealt in you know, either moments of, of nostalgia or uh, tone that were very in keeping with this whole season one and two Twin Peaks vibe, I suppose. But in season three, everything is brought to a stark reality that may actually be the feeling that as a observer, you are actually watching events play out from a distance rather than from within the world of Twin Peaks. And I suppose more specifically from the perspective of Cooper when he's in Twin Peaks as well. Mm. And I keep on coming back to Lucy in the mobile phone to the thermostat, but I think it's so important. Her struggle to comprehend how mobile phones work, because she's used to there being a voice from the phone that's travelled down a physical line from place A to place B. So the idea that place A can be moving towards place B, even though place B isn't moving, is like trying to accept a fold in space-time. Because she understands everything from a very literal perspective of her own observance of them. That's why she questions what the thermostat is doing when there's no one in the sheriff's station to observe it. And when she announces that she understands cell phones now, after she's killed Mr C having spoken to the real Cooper on a cell phone, I do wonder if she actually now understands cell phones, or does she think that there are two, that there is one person who is on the phone and then there is another version of them who is somehow wrong, who is in another place. <laughs> At the point where she understands it, there are literally two Coopers in the environment and that she is physically aware of that there is one on the phone coming into town and then there is another in Sheriff Truman's office. But only one of them can be right. The other one has to be... There has to be something wrong for there to be two of them. And indeed, I think, you know, the whole idea of the nature of perspective and how the stars turn on one hand and the world spins on another is is very much related to that initial phone call scene because you have obviously Lucy in one place and Truman coming towards her on the mobile phone and I think that there are so many elements where in season three especially we're flitting between moments when we're Lucy and we're sort of perceiving events around us. And other times when we're Truman on the mobile phone and we're moving towards other events as well. Mm. And the fact that we don't stick with one perspective the whole time almost feels like we are slightly dazed by the fact that we're watching events unfold from a static position all these things moving and going on around us. 
and other times we're looking at exactly those same events but from the perspective of the moving object which is itself from its own perspective static and seeing other things moving around but it wouldn't see the same things moving in the same relative way Hmm. so everything is allowing us to sort of look at the world of Twin Peaks from multiple perspectives all moving relative to each other and I think it just adds to how unnerving and strange season three feels I think because we've lost that anchor down perspective of seasons one and two where arguably we were Lucy in the sheriff's office on the phone to now being Truman on the mobile phone walking towards events and looking at things where to him Lucy is getting closer Hmm. but he has a completely different perspective on the on the relative events happening to him for example yeah because our our perspective of events is always delayed from the occurrence of the event itself so the time it takes light or sound to reach us and the time it takes our brains to interpret what's going on is usually imperceptible but sometimes you can perceive it so you know, in a, in a thunderstorm where you perceive the thunder and lightning to happen at different times, and yet logically we know that they are occurring at the same time, or uh, or that wonderful footage from Live Aid where you can see the speed of sound as as the crowd <laughs> claps their hands and you see a ripple of it through the stadium as the sound reaches people, and and yet from their perspective the sound is occurring when they hear it. It, there, mu- there must have been thousands of years where people did think that thunder and lightning occurred at different times. But but the more we come to understand the physical realities of the world, the more we understand that our perspective isn't always giving us the real answer. Mm. And indeed, I think for Lucy as well, you know, she it it's kind of inverted um, compared to your thunder analogy because she is... You know, hearing the sound of him on the phone before she actually sees him. Mm. You know, but she still treats these things as two separate things. In her mind, she knows that Truman is a physical presence on the other end of the phone and is speaking to her and she's hearing his voice and she's obviously communicating to him in real time. But she's unable to grasp sort of the the way in which spatially he is moving towards her which confounds the fact that she perceives that, you know, on a fixed landline, for example, you'd be speaking to somebody else at a fixed location elsewhere. And that's very much what I think is is the big change in seasons one and two and three. It's going from, you know, two people on landlines to two people on mobile phones, <laughs> and they could both be moving relative to each other, and you wouldn't know. From each person's perspective, you're just talking to the other person, and they and they might be in the same place, but they could be moving around and doing different things. So if you then consider the existence of other dimensions within the world of Twin Peaks, so those dimensions and ours could be moving relative to one another, with conjunctions between the dimensions occurring at specific times and places or with the occurrence of specific events. So from the Earth's perspective, the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn can signal the opening of the door to the Black Lodge, which appears to be another dimension. But the conjunction doesn't just tell us about the positions of Jupiter and Saturn, it also tells us about the Earth's position, because the Earth has to be in the right place for Jupiter and Saturn to appear to be lined up. So when Demel calls it a clock, 
but it's really heliocentric coordinates for where the Earth will be at that exact moment. To the extent that we can know when conjunctions are going to happen, there's going to be one next year. For example, the great conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn, they happen about every 20 years. And they happen at three different points relative to the sun in the sky. So sort of roughly every 60 years, Jupiter, Saturn and the Earth will be back in the places where the conjunction happened 60 years previously. But we'll perceive further conjunctions 20 years after that and 20 years after that. But actually, relative to the sun, all three planets will be in a different point in space. But that must also be something that Hawke understands as well. Yeah. Because that mysterious scene in in uh, The Star's Turn, The Time Presents Itself, Part 2, when he goes into the woods and uh, Margaret calls him and she knows that he's in the woods and yeah. she knows that he is looking for something and, and Hawke says, um, I think to paraphrase, you know, something is meant to be happening here tonight. Mm. And both Hawke and the log are aware that a door will open as a result of this conjunction. And at the same time, you have that scene essentially being left open-ended. We never really know how that resolves in the show, but we also have moments around that in part two where conversations are about the fact that Cooper is able to leave at a time determined by those within the Black Lodge as well. So... From the perspective of the real world, this conjunction is the way that the door unlocks and the two realities can bleed into each other and you can move between them. Within the lodge, though, everything is completely warped because there are issues of rules that people in the world of Twin Peaks or the reality you know, yeah. itself aren't aware of. They don't, they don't know that, you know, for example, one Cooper has to go in before the other can come out. They don't know that other characters ultimately say that you are free to go. They don't also understand the idea that you can leave the Black Lodge and ultimately not go back to the place or even the time when you came in, which is obviously reflected in, in Part 18. I mean, it's it really is that that hub where you can go to all kinds of different places. Because hmm. if, if you consider the perspective of someone who was on the surface of Saturn... Um, and somehow, you know, alive, um, then at the point of the conjunction, surely they would see that Jupiter and Earth were in conjunction mm. with one another. And if you were on the surface of Jupiter, Saturn and Earth would appear to be opposing on either side of you. So if you think that in order to move between dimensions, you need interdimensional coordinates, I mean, that that the whole the whole issue of coordinates is such an important thing in season three. The coordinates of where particular places are, um, you know, for example, the entrances to the lodge in the woods and things like that. Just as they were with the the map in season two, the map that they found in El Cave, which is gives you the equivalent of coordinates, but via a very different medium and telling you where something is. But it's also important as to when something is. And is the conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn effectively, from our perspective, giving us a when, but from an interdimensional perspective, giving us a where for where the Earth will be, which gives us interdimensional coordinates 
for where you will be where the dimensions will be close enough together that you can pass through between them does that i don't know if this makes any sense yeah i think i think it almost feels like there are times when the veil between two worlds actually becomes thin enough to travel between them yeah and that veil is is represented by you know the red curtains you see in the woods which appear at the pool of engine oil which is found so so that's the location but the but there are only certain times obviously when the realities are uh, close enough to each other that anything can pass between them and in the same way i think that links to everything that we see with the birth of bob in in part 8 because at that other moment as well there's clearly a you know a tear in the existence of mm. of of the barrier between two worlds and that is a i think it, especially after reading the final dossier as well and some of the interpretations that come out of what we're actually seeing there it's almost like this is a regulated and very controlled process and the fireman and senorita dido are alarmed not necessarily by the fact that bob is being released but more that this is a unplanned event it's like there is something the definition of bob's release into the world being you know somewhat unholy is more to do with the way in which it is being done outside of the normal rules it's not happening when the spirits can travel between the two worlds at the right locations this is just a moment when hell has essentially broken loose and mm. into the world as well mm. So a lot's been said before about the idea that Saturn and Jupiter somehow represent the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, with you know Jupiter being the god of good fortune and wisdom and justice and also being a giant planet, so you could maybe associate it with the giant and the fireman, whereas Saturn being associated with melancholy. And what I also like is that in Roman myth, Saturn was the god of agriculture, so it was literally the god of corn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can see them as aligned with the White Lodge and the Black Lodge, and that therefore potentially, when the Black Lodge, represented by Saturn, is aligned dimensionally with ours at a time when, from Saturn's perspective, we are in conjunction with Jupiter. Uh, and we see references to specific times when the doorways will open, Obviously, from the Black Lodge perspective, you've got the, the reference to the conjunction. But from the White Lodge's perspective, you've got the note that Major Briggs leaves behind for Bobby mm. to get when he's older, the one that's hidden in the chair, which gives physical coordinates of where to go in the woods, but also a date, which gives them the when to go. But from the perspective of where the Earth is, the when is also a reference to where physically the Earth is going to be in the solar mm. system at that time. Yeah, I, I've always wondered about the pictures that exist on that uh, on that little piece of paper because um, it's kind of clear the image that you know initially is shown on uh, Mister C's playing card, etc., which appears above uh, the two mountains as well. I mean, that is very much being portrayed, I think, in those images as some celestial body. And the time is not necessarily just about, you know, be at Jack Rabbit's Palace at this time and, and you know, put the soil in your pocket and, and all that stuff. It's very much 
a pictorial representation of the celestial alignment that might have to take place, which again ties back to what you were saying about the pictogram in Al Cave, the one that Andy interprets, because again, that is talking about the way in which a physical map can represent a much bigger sort of celestial alignment as well. And indeed, Hawk's map as well, which is doing the same thing. Indeed, in that case, it's a living map. So it's it's interesting that there are different ways in which the coordinates and locations of, of when these uh, veils between worlds are open. You know, in one, they're written a long, long time ago in Al Cave, and they're represented in that fixed pictogram. In another, they're on a living map which belongs to Hawk. And finally, they're on a tiny scrap of paper which has been left by Major Briggs, you know, 25 years prior, uh, knowing that actually it would only become important at the time when it was needed to be known. Mm. Uh, which again fits with the idea that, you know, obviously Briggs's perspective has, has switched from a character who was investigating the rest of the universe in seasons one and two and probably becoming closer aligned to the idea that there was something else out there i mean certainly when he goes missing he's been places to you know um, he's you know he's been abducted in the woods all these different things and he's fully aware of what's going on to actually transcending his human existence in many ways and becoming part of that otherworldly side of things in season three yeah i like the idea that all of these Maps suggest that there is a permanence to the landscape of Twin Peaks that is important. The mountains, the forests, you know, the, the rivers, that these are things which, particularly in the Owl Cave map, are given as you know, pointers as to where certain things are. That those things are far more permanent than human beings or anything that human beings might do. That you could leave somebody a map that referenced those things and thousands of years later someone can read it because those things are still there. Whereas if you tried to leave a map that referenced you know, a, a city or a town or a house, it would just be gone by the mm. time anyone came to use it. You know, it, it plays into the idea that there is a presence in the woods which is kind of old and unknowable, that it, it's something that we that we just can't influence. We can only coexist with it. Mm. And indeed, the, the most specific instructions are, you know, written down in words by Major Briggs in that note, because I presume, although he knew that it would be found at the right time, when uh, Hawk, Truman and Bobby go and see uh, Betty Briggs and, and, you know, are investigating them and find a little note, it's good he may have thought, you know what if they can't interpret it <laughs> you know but he's also in a situation where from his perspective which must be 25 years prior mm. he knew that the events would take place at this specific time so it wasn't just a conjunction that he was probably aware of but the fact that he knew that he would have to influence these events as well by making it very clear it couldn't be something ambiguous like the alcay pictogram or a living map that has to be interpreted by specific people mm. I also like the thought that the symbol that was on Mr. C's playing card and that you also see on on the living map um, that Hawk shows to Sheriff Truman, the oval with the little horns, mm. which a appears to be a reference to 
that creature that's in the box and that you see during the nuclear explosion sequence in part eight, that you could also see that as an interdimensional zodiac sign. Mm. Because you, you think of that Owl Cave map and the fact that it had the sign for Jupiter on, which Andy mistakes for the 4-H club, mm. um, that, that you've, you've got these very kind of stylized, almost logos that represent the zodiac signs, but those things also represent gods because mm. that's where we get many of the names from. So the sign for Jupiter itself also references the god of Jupiter and the zodiac sign of Jupiter and all of that. So is this being, this Jowde Judy being, a god who whose symbol is part of an interdimensional zodiac, mm. which tells you more about time and space and the appearance of stars and planets relative to one another than we can understand from our very Earth-centric, heliocentric perspective on the universe. Mm. And indeed, I think that's why some of the things that we see in the Black Lodge sequences, or indeed in the White Lodge sequences as well, they seem very strange because I've sometimes felt that they reflect the way that a human brain would interpret the things that you would see in another reality or dimension, one occupied by beings that are sort of essentially beyond comprehension. That's half of the the surreal nature and the weirdness of it all. I think it feels almost like you're trying to, well, the information is entering you, but your brain is trying to put it into something that it can recognise, which is why you see characters that you recognise and you see physical objects or things that you are aware of from the reality that you're from, I suppose. But the series of events that take place don't make much logical sense. It's why they feel like dreams, I think, because it's your brain interpreting something that it has not seen before and cannot understand. And I like the idea that, in a weird way, that's why Twin Peaks, the town, is so important. It could have been any other town, but it wasn't. It's almost like one of the messages of season three is that everything ties back to something that has been in you know, in the woods around Twin Peaks from long before the town was ever there. And indeed, that's something which is very much hinted at in, in the secret history. It's this idea that there are times and geographies which make Twin Peaks the centre of everything. Um, that's why all these events centre around the town and have taken place within its vicinity. But you know, often when we're watching the show, I think we get drawn to the details of the world of Twin Peaks rather than the context and the environment that Twin Peaks is actually in. And we think that the clues are in are in the Double R Diner rather than, you know, in the much bigger sort of temporal and geographical and, and astral influences that are taking place in that specific area in the Pacific Northwest. If you have these different dimensions moving differently relative to one another, such that there are specific times and places and coordinates which enable you to pass through in the right circumstances. Could that therefore mean that if you tried to pass between them when the circumstances were not right or when things weren't aligned, you would fall into non-existence? Mm. And is that what happens to Cooper when he gets thrown through the floor of the Black Lodge by the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm 
and he just starts falling through nothingness um, until he lands in the, the purple zone. You know, is is that the space between between different existences is itself non-existence? Is that where Nido falls into before eventually falling through a doorway into the existence of Twin Peaks, where the doorway to the White Lodge would be? You know, is is that the the non-existent space that Cooper falls through before he ends up sort of pulled into the box in New York and then ejected back out again? Mm. And indeed, I suppose, is that also where, in part three, when he, he climbs out of that hatch mm. and he's sort of in space all of a sudden, you know, and uh, and Major Briggs' head floats past. Is this like, well, rather than the vacuum of space, is it the vacuum of existence itself? You know, the fact that there are realities and those are the things that we have been used to seeing a lot of in Twin Peaks, whether it's the town itself or the Black Lodge. But there are also now these unrealities that exist where we have no way of perceiving them properly. And maybe they are areas that we shouldn't be in, I suppose, as well. And places where, obviously, out of spite, the doppelganger of the arm ejects Cooper, you know, as a means to throw him out of his sort of potential trajectory that he was on with regard to exiting at the right time. So in the final dossier, it's heavily implied that there are two realities coexisting, one in which Laura Palmer was killed and another in which she disappeared. And that depending on where you are or, or who you are or what you've experienced, you might have experienced it differently or remember it differently. And even physical records can be different. So... Is this another example of two dimensions existing side by side that become too close in one place, that place being Twin Peaks, such that things are confused? And is this why there are so many occurrences in season three of things suddenly seeming different, like the customers in the Double R Diner, who are suddenly all sitting in different places, even though it appears to be within seconds of what just happened? Yeah. Or the um, the woman in the booth of mystery in the mm-hmm. roadhouse who's talking about Billy coming into her kitchen and bleeding everywhere and she can't remember if her uncle was there. Yeah, I think it's strange because I remember watching those moments and many others actually where I thought, you know, what does this mean? How You know, you know are these characters aware of all these things happening? And I realised over time that maybe what's scary about the whole thing is the only person who knows that these are two separate realities intermeshed with each other is the audience because they're essentially watching both realities play out but the characters within each reality obviously aren't aware that they are part of a of you know of one sort of reality sort of butting up against another one they're not aware of the other chain of events or dimension I suppose you know I'm not sure exactly how you describe it but from the viewer's perspective you're watching these things and it's it's something that you become aware of however subconsciously but I think you come to realize that the characters experiencing those events aren't aware of it Mm. and then when the show does start to be slightly sort of able to break its own reality there are characters who, who clearly are able to perceive the existence of a reality outside of their own I think those characters are truly 
themselves almost portals between these two worlds because their perceptions are able to exist in two different realities rather than being locked into one and seeing and seeing certain events happening. It's almost like some of the characters are on Earth and like you said earlier, some of the characters are on Saturn and they're looking at each other. Hmm. But there are two different realities happening and they're not really aware of it. But sometimes they are aware of the perspective of their sort of doppelganger in another reality yeah. looking back at you know looking back at the same events and it just is all distorted and, and confused yeah so for example big ed's reflection in mm. the door being different to what he's doing mm. um is that the reflection of the big ed in another reality mm. or when uh young gordon cole is in the dream that present day gordon cole mm. has you know, when he when he has a dream about himself in Fire Walk With Me mm. and he sees himself from long ago. Mm. And there's that bit where the young Gordon Cole also, you question whether he's also seeing himself in yeah. that moment. Yeah, it's really weird. I, because it's only when you look at the clip they show from Fire Walk With Me, when he, I think he kind of nods, he looks at his watch when Cooper asks what time it is, etc. But you do wonder if, at that moment, however subconsciously, or if it's like just a, a weird thought that, that flickers into his mind back in the Philadelphia office, it's him having a perspective looking at Gordon Cole in, you know, 2017 in his dream in, you know, that cafe in Paris looking back at him. And are these different characters essentially looking at each other, uh, sometimes simultaneously? Uh, but sometimes through quite long stretches of time as well. There are too many elements, I think, of the show that do suggest that we're able to sometimes engage with the other reality through the perspectives of the characters. Other times we're looking at it externally, but sometimes you know, there's a character who sees another character who's a version of themselves. And it's not necessarily that they're doppelgangers, but, they're, but at a certain moment that that distinction between realities fizzles out for a second and you can see something that isn't really there i suppose it's actually sort of part of a different reality which is sort of merged with your own or is struggling to coexist with the one that you're in i think you know most notably with that i would say that there's that scene in part 18 when diane and cooper arrive at that motel and then when cooper goes inside diane is in the car and she sees a version of herself i think exiting sort of the you know the reception area and standing outside i think she was having a cigarette or something and she kind of looks and she sees it but she's not really sure what's going on and then the scene kind of moves on with her uh being distracted by cooper who's calling to her as well but you know obviously diane is a complicated character in the sense that you know she well there's a there's a tulpa version in the show as well mm. So certain characters might have their perceptions warped by the nature of their existence. But in that case, I mean, you've got characters looking at each other, looking at themselves and seeing alternative realities, which they don't consider, I think, are real in any way. But often, you know, maybe just like a, you know, a side thought or something that you see out the corner of your eye. It's nothing real, but it's it's something present I think, in the realities of each of the characters. Mm. And you have certain characters who now appear to have learned to exist outside of 
natural space and time as we understand it. So, as you said, Major Briggs appears to have gained enough knowledge to have ceased to be human in a way that we understand it, and now appears to be able to travel through these these gaps or these pathways between dimensions, between times. And also Philip Jeffries, who now, you know, as Cole says, doesn't really exist anymore <laughs> in a literal sense, but he does appear to exist, but not in any human form that we understand, and not in any space that we understand, because that that place, the Dutchman's, mm. which appears, you know, sort of to be able to TARDIS like, just up and move. But is it moving, or is the two dimensional realities moving, and therefore the place in which they were up against one another is now no longer there because they're both moving in other directions, and the place where they're up against one another is now somewhere else, mm. or some when else. <laughs> <laughs> But there are those moments, I think, peppered throughout the show. There are those three that maybe spring to mind immediately are the uses of people's faces being superimposed on events, mm -hmm. which might be seen by one or both characters involved. So in the hotel, when Cole opens the door and he sees that image of Laura Palmer when she went to see Donna in Firewalk With Me and she's crying at the door. Now, he can see her, but she can't see him. Again, that's a series of events separated by, you know, 25-odd years. Other times you have, at the end of the series, in part 17, you have the face of Cooper superimposed on events there. And there, what is he seeing? Is he looking at events from not a different time, but a different reality? Um, is he actually, at that point, in the Black Lodge looking out over events? And even if he is, this could be... Well, it could be an iteration which is happening sort of many times in the future or many times in the past. And also, you know, the scene in Fire Walk With Me when you see Philip Jeffrey's face or even uh, the Jumping Man's face superimposed on mm. events. There are elements where you wonder if these are the things that the character is seeing in their mind or if they are literally the things which the person is experiencing as they're able to have some slightly unnatural connection with the existence of, of different realities and dimensions that are bleeding into one another. So there's also the temporal aspect of all of this, where you have characters who appear to be able to move in time, going all the way back to, for example, Major Briggs in season two, where when he returns to the present, it, it looks like he's been in the past, just from the outfit that he's wearing. He looks like he's been a pilot decades ago, <laughs> rather than the, the pilot that we know that he must have been in recent times. And you've got the fact that Philip Jeffries appears to be able to send Cooper into the past <laughs> in order to interact with the events of Firewalk With Me. And also the fact that the way the people in the lodge appear to speak from the perspective of Cooper is both forwards and backwards at the same time, that he understands it forwards, but they're speaking backwards. You couple that with the overtly retro 1950s stylings of certain mm. things, with the fact that when you then consider where the fireman is and Senorita Dido in this purple zone black and white sort of almost sort of art deco 
place, this very 1930s. They they seem to be living in a past era, but viewing events that are occurring in the 1940s and 50s and influencing them. So that there's a temporal divide between what is happening in the different dimensions. Hmm. I think it almost seems like in our reality, uh, the reality of most of the characters who are living in Twin Peaks, etc., everything works in a you know in a linear timeline and they perceive events uh in the past as being something that has already happened and things in the future as things which are going to happen if they do ever have the chance to sort of perceive events in the future but then that's a very sort of earthbound perspective on things because as you say these extra dimensional sort of lodge characters or those associated with the lodge or those who have been touched by the lodge in some way, those characters appear to exist outside of sort of the canonical way that we view time, which is probably why it's so surprising that, you know, as a character, Cooper becomes, you know, the character who travels back in time. You know, somebody who has up until this point existed solely in the, uh, you know, in the forward direction of time it's his going back which is perhaps the you know the strongest indication that he is suddenly in tune with the abilities that the lodge can imbue with people who've maybe stayed there for a long period of time yeah because we witness the fireman in senorita dido watching the trinity test from a distance via their cinema screen which would have been in the 40s But then we see the eggs that appear to have been spewed out by Judy landing several years after that, Mm. when the whole frog bug hatching sequence occurs. But also, when the firemen in Senorita Dido send the golden orb to Earth that appears to be connected to Laura in some way, she won't be born until many, many years after that. So it's like there is a, a substantial gap between when these events that are occurring in what seem to be other dimensions interact with what is happening on Earth. Mm. I think those characters, like you know, like the fireman and Senorita Dido, can clearly observe the timeline that we exist in and interact with, influence and manipulate events at any point along it. So from their perspective, they're in a fixed time zone, actually. But the perspective of things around them is that they're always in flux and always moving. So they can actually perceive time in a different way to the way uh, we do it. Which again, I think goes back to the idea that in Twin Peaks, we are used to seeing things from a fixed perspective, thinking that everything else is moving. In a similar way, this is a perspective from another dimension almost. And they are seeing events as if they're all moving around them um, and that they're in the fixed position. But how these two realities sort of intermingle with each other is... Is, is certainly up for debate. Yeah, and there seems to be an effect where once someone has interacted with figures from these other dimensions, their perspective on their own reality changes. Mm. Cooper certainly seems to. Um, I mean, the, the very first scene that we get is him getting a series of bizarre clues from the fireman, and Cooper saying, I understand. And we, the audience, do not understand. But Cooper seems to understand what he's meant to do. And a similar thing seems to happen to Andy after he gets taken up into the fireman's home, uh, wherever that might be, after the events of 
Jack Rabbit's palace, he seems to instinctively understand what he has to do just from being shown a series of images. Mm. But all the images, notably, that he sees are all playing forward in time. Yeah. So from his perspective, he understands what the fireman says. And the fireman is speaking backwards, but he understands him in a forward fashion. But the clips that he sees of previous events that have happened, and indeed some premonitions of what may be about to happen in the future, are all played in a in a forward perspective. Mm. Um, which is a very strange thing that appears to happen. There's just something that's that's hard to comprehend about the way in which you know in that reality of 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 the white lodge or the black lodge wherever you see these things time just doesn't work in the way that it is perceived by characters in in reality and i think it's interesting that they play around with it by having characters who speak backwards who are interpreted as speaking forwards you've got characters like cooper who do speak forwards they never speak backwards whereas other characters do and then you have them viewing events which are happening in a forward perspective as well, even though the events that take place within the lodge are happening backwards and played forwards. Yeah, and indeed, when characters, or both Mr. C and Cooper, interact with Philip Jeffreys in his strange form of existence that he has now, he is speaking forwards. Mm. He isn't engaging in lodge speak, he's speaking mm. forwards. Yeah, and you see the same thing at the very end when, again, when Cooper goes with Mike or Philip Gerard and he goes into the boiler room mm. you know where he leaves uh, Gordon and Diane outside yeah that's a strange moment in the series because it's the first time in a while that you've seen Mike in the you know in the form of, of Philip Gerard but actually speaking forwards because he says the mm. whole you know that the fire walk with me poem or chant he you know he says that forwards which is kind of strange as well I remember when we were first watching The Return two years ago, I kept trying to put together a timeline that would explain how all the different events happening all over could come together and, and coexist over the course of days or weeks, however long it was meant to be, between, say, those initial New York scenes and everything that happens in the sheriff's office at the end. And one of the places that I kept coming unstuck was trying to match together the text messages that passed between Mr. C and the culprit of Diane. But looking back at it now, I do wonder if we were never necessarily meant to assume that they would be sent and arrive at the same point in time. Because if there are these junctions in reality, then just like Thunder and Lightning happening at the same time but being perceived at different times. Could you have a text message being sent at one point but being received at a different point, either in the future or indeed in the past, depending on how reality is interacting with itself? Yeah, I've never considered it like that because there was so much put into you know the timings and the subtleties of these events and whether they had either some meaning within the story like maybe they were meant to catch you off guard by by implying that a message was going to somebody, but actually it was going somewhere else, or they were perhaps you know continuity errors. But in a strange way, you could interpret uh, these as reflections of, of exactly that theory. That certainly with characters who are uh, touched by the lodgers in some way, you know they are able to uh, perform slightly strange temporal acts 
even when it's something to do with you know sending a text message but it's also linked i suppose to the slightly strange way of interacting with sort of electronic devices overall anyway when you think of that sequence in prison where mr c calls up and does the cow jumped over the moon bit that message appears to go to Buenos Aires and that weird box folds in on itself. Are these messages bouncing off other dimensions like satellites and therefore not necessarily arriving when you think they are? You know, it's some kind of interdimensional SMS service. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Mr. C and Diane are in the same Black Lodge WhatsApp group, <laughs> but it has to pass through umpteen other different dimensions before the messages reach the other person and you see little blue ticks that have come up. <laughs> so I think in retrospect, my attempts at creating that timeline that made sense of everything was always going to fail because there's there's a fine line between all these different things that are going on, the portals in the woods, the vortexes, the, the times and coordinates where things align and are in the same space at the same time, things moving relative to one another that cannot be expressed in a linear narrative and make sense. Yeah, and for the first time, we're seeing the world of Twin Peaks through all these perspectives, um, but almost like they're unfiltered. So you're no longer looking at a certain event from one character's perspective, but potentially one character could be seeing something from their perspective while simultaneously you're viewing same event from another character's perspective overlapping with it i think it does all boil down to this idea of of the nature of what perspective is i know that you know lynch is interested in sort of the unreliable narrator and the idea of memories being confusing you know going you know i think most notably in, in things like lost highway mm. you know but in this case it's very much about not memories whose strangeness you can attribute to uh, the fact they're in your mind, but actually the perception of reality, which is something that we're all experiencing. And I think, you know, to bring it back to the beginning of this discussion, you know, I think we began by, you know, talking about what Margaret says on the phone, you know, uh, you know the stars turn and a time presents itself. And those stars are arguably the alignments of planets or events, but they could be many different things which are aligning. The time presenting itself, we could, you know, argue is the time at which the lodge is meant to open as a result of a specific conjunction. But it could also be the fact that a certain series of things happen in order to make another thing possible, however that is. But these are all still rooted in that earthbound perception of everything that we've been talking about a lot in this episode, namely that from our perspective, it's the stars around us that are moving that we are sort of static and we are looking at things happening around us with wonder and, and, and amazement, but knowing that they're all moving relative to us. And yet, in reality, maybe, you know, the solution to how everyone is perceiving things, and indeed, not only the characters, but also the viewers are experiencing events in uh, season three, especially, is more rooted in you know, the Julie Cruz song, The World Spins, because it's that awareness that maybe it's not the stars turning, but it is, in fact, the world that we're in that's spinning and that everything is moving relative to each other, you know, which is maybe why that moment of realisation 
triggers that song to play in part 17 when Cooper loses Laura again and realises that as much as he has an influence on the world around him or thinks he does, there are much bigger sort of external forces which are uh, moving relative to his preconceived plan of how he wants to do things. And that as much as you can want everything to go your way and indeed to kill two birds with one stone with your own plan, that relies on all these other things working in line with that. And indeed, if those other factors are all perceiving events themselves relative to all the other events taking place, you know, maybe that's why everything eventually falls apart at the end. So that's it for The Star's Turn and A Time Presents Itself. Uh, next time on Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee, we're going to be talking about Call for Help. Yeah, so let's see what tangents that will lead us in. <laughs> in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at TFCAA, on Facebook in our group Time for Cakes and Ale, or on our website timeforcakesandale.com. And you can subscribe to the podcast in all the usual places, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you would normally get your podcast from. And if you have a moment, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out to other people. Yeah, so I think that's it from us. Please do get in touch. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, some of the ideas we've been discussing about Twin Peaks in our episode today. But for now, from Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee, be, be seeing, seeing you. you.